Uh, Father God, as we come uh, to your word, we pray that indeed we would hear you, you speak to our hearts and our minds, our souls, that you would grow us to be more and more like your son Jesus, that we would live lives that exalt him. And we pray it, uh, pray this all to your praise and glory. Amen. Uh, this morning we start a new series. We're looking at the I Am statements from John's Gospel. And uh, one of the most famous I Am statements is when Jesus said, as we may have heard in that reading, I hope you did, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, verse 12. And I want to uh, begin our time by asking you, what do you think that means? When Jesus claims, I am the light of the world, what does Jesus mean by that? And I want you to think about it so seriously. I actually want you to talk to the person nearby and share what you think your answer is. So go and do that for just, just a moment, please. All right, now, you, you had a little bit of time. Now I wonder, are they correct? <laughs> Do you think they're right? Do you think they're wrong? Are you not sure? Uh, does Jesus being light of the world, is that a prospect that fills you with warm fuzzies? Oh, does it make you sigh with wonder that, oh, Jesus is the light of the world? I mean, it, it sounds a bit like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? You can see the picture of the sunrise now or the candle with the words underneath. Has it got that kind of feel about it? And it might sound emotive, but it is good for us to pause and to ask ourselves, well, what does it actually mean? We must examine this claim biblically and understand what Jesus means when he says it, not what I want it to mean, lest I project all my sentimental baggage on the words of Jesus. That would be terrible. We must ask what Jesus is claiming about himself. When he says, I'm the light of the world, and then we must ask, well, what are we to do with that? Now, our world is full of light, isn't it? And maybe that's one reason we struggle with what Jesus means. Uh, we might be scared of the dark, but how often do we actually find ourselves in the deep distress of darkness? When was the last time that you found yourself in bona fide, deep terrifying darkness I mean in our world it's it's a solution that's as easy as flicking on a switch isn't it you can even uh, get an app for it if you have an iPhone a smartphone you can go to the app and flick iTorch and away you go I've got even on my key ring my Bible college sent to me a key ring that has this little key ring size torch it's very handy gets you out of all sorts of trouble when you're stuck in the dark uh, it's, it's easy. Light is easy and light is accessible. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I'm the light, well, we might, there might be a temptation to go, oh, well, that's all nice, you know. We might be a bit underwhelmed. But for the biblical authors, well, there was no electricity and there were no smartphones, oh, what a happier place it must have been. 
Uh, uh, light and dark were, just, were, not, were not just ideas. Light and dark were real daily experiences. And so for us to think about what Jesus means, I think we need to go back to the Old Testament and examine what the language of light and dark means and how, how that informs what Jesus is saying. So there is a bit of movement through the Bible this morning. You'll have to forgive me for that. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, Please turn there. I promise you it'll be worth your while. 2 Samuel chapter 22. There is some Bible flicking. I can hear it. It's very faint. 2 Samuel chapter 22. You could read the whole chapter, really, but we're not. It's 51 verses. We might start with verse 29 and then go backwards. Can you see verse 29? This is David singing to the Lord, and he says to the Lord, You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. And uh, chapter 22 is pretty much a song that David sings. Uh, and it invites us to think about the language that is connected to darkness and what kind of language is connected to light. King David is singing to God because God has delivered him from the threat of the Philistine army and the murderous King Saul, and his language and the imagery he uses help us to grasp a little bit of what it means to live in darkness and light. So if you've been casting your eye over uh, this chapter from verse 1, you can see when when he gets to verse 3, he mentions violence. In verse 4, enemies. Can you see in verse 5 and 6, he's facing death and destruction. In verse 7, he's in distress. He's crying out to the Lord. Later on in verse 18, he's hated. Verse 19, he experiences calamity. And all this strong language reflects what it means to live in darkness, I think. You can get a sense of the fear, the distress and death. And that's life lived in the darkness. Yet notice that in this chapter, as we see all that shadowy stuff, David is actually praising God. And he's praising God because darkness is no longer his life. Remember verse 29? You are my lamp, O Lord. My God lightens my darkness. And what what were the words we might have seen that experience, uh, speak of the experience of God's light? Well, he mentioned protection, didn't he? Deliverance, verse 1. Verse 3, there were lots of things, words like refuge and salvation, a stronghold. Verse 18, he talks of being rescued. Verse 19, God is his support. Or mercy in verse 21. Or purity in verse 27. Or faithfulness in verse 26. And so by the time you get to the end of this song in verse 50, all he can do is praise God as his saviour. Where darkness brings fear, distress and death, God, God's light, brings security, joy and life. That's what I wanted you to see from that song this morning.
If you missed it, take time out after lunch today and, and have another read over it. The other passage I want to take us to as we think about these ideas is Isaiah chapter 9. And this should be a familiar uh, passage to you. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9. You need to head towards the Gospels. Thanks, Daniel. Isn't he a great help? Page 687. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And start reading that. That'd be good. Quietly to yourself. You've got the ideas of darkness and light there again. You see Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, earlier in Isaiah, a God has foretold the destruction of Israel and there's darkness on the land. Yet here in chapter 9, verse 2, there's, well, what is it? It's a, a light. A light will come. A light will dawn on Israel's darkness. And what will it be, verse 6? You see, verse 6. It's going to be a son, a child will be born. And he will be, verse 7, he will be a king. And he will rule on David's throne, not just for a little while, but forever. And he will rule with peace and justice. He will defeat the oppressors and he will make an end of war. And there will be great joy for the people as they live under his reign forever. These are wonderful words for a people living in darkness. And we know King David, well, he, he enjoyed the light for a short time, but eventually he died. And God's people and God's world continue to live in darkness. And so as we land now back in John chapter 8, back in John chapter 8, I hope you kept that marked. It's the last day... Uh, um, Israel have been waiting centuries. They've been hoping for this light, waiting for this king to bring security, joy and life, to rescue them from the darkness. And as we meet these words from Jesus, the setting of John chapter 8, it's the last day of the festival of booths or tabernacles. We know what a crowded place is like, don't we? And at this festival, the Jews are in Jerusalem. They flock there and they go there to remember God's deliverance and salvation throughout their history. And one of the images, of course, is light. The bright burning fire, the furnace that appeared to Moses in the bush that we heard in Exodus 3, where God said, Moses says, well, what's your name? And God says, I am. Some people think that's connected to all these I am statements in John's gospel. And that is the I am moment that started it all, really. The cloud and the fire that led Israel through the wilderness day and night. All of that's being celebrated. As they remember God's salvation at the temple, as crowds gather, uh, they would light uh, four elevated bowls that are filled with oil and they will be raised 
and, sur and surrounded by people. Can you see them dancing with burning torches? They're doing it at the temple, and the temple's on the hill, and it's in Jerusalem, and it will become this central source of light for the city and a visible reminder that God is their light and salvation. Psalm 27. And so with all that in mind, enter Jesus with his big claim and says, Hey, see all that? I'm the light of the world. That's, that's about me. Here I am. I'm the light of the world. And so we're invited, I think, to feel the gravity of all that Old Testament imagery behind this text during the festival, inside the temple, lit with lanterns, and there's Jesus at the centre of it all going, I'm the light of the world. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, they've seen a great light, haven't they? Those living in the land of the shadow of death, on them the light has shined. That's Matthew 4, he agrees. And we might expect then the next scene to be one of great joy and great singing and celebrations and dancing. The light has come. The light is here. Hip, hip, hooray. But the very next verse shows us something else. Because the Pharisees respond with, nah, don't they? Verse 13, no, your testimony is not true. What are you talking about, mate? Just sit down and be quiet. Jesus claims to be the long-awaited light, but this is met with disbelief and scepticism. They just don't believe him. The words of Isaiah 9, they should be ringing in, his, in their ears, all that expectation and hope and joy, but they will not come at it. John chapter 1, verse 9, we know the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And we know verse 11, he that came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And that's what we see here in chapter 8. They do not believe Jesus' testimony. They want proof. And they're not going to believe Jesus just because he says so. Especially if it's going to cost them and challenge them and discomfort them. I mean, when we think about it, anyone can claim anything, can't they? doesn't make it so. We want evidence. We want proof. And so the Pharisees will not believe. They refuse to accept Jesus and they refuse to receive him. And can I say, this is the same question this text keeps asking of us. Is this true? Can we believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Have you accepted Jesus and received him? So look at verse 14. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. Jesus knows he speaks the truth, because he knows who he is. And he knows who sent him, his father. Jesus knows he is the son of God. And that he speaks for the father. Jesus knows who he is, even if they don't yet see it. Verse 18. 
I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Uh, Verse 19, well, where is your father? You see, where is your father? Who are you? They just don't get it. And verse 28 is the key. Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what my father has told me. The Pharisees did not believe Jesus' testimony. They didn't believe who Jesus' father was. But the definitive act, the definitive evidence that Jesus is the light of the world, according to Jesus, in verse 28, is the cross. When he is lifted up, did you see that? When he is crucified, when he faces the darkness in our place, And when he rises to new life, well, then you'll know. When we see Jesus on the cross, when we see Jesus risen from the dead, when we see Jesus ascended to his kingdom, then we can know for certain that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus faced darkness at the cross. He experienced crushing fear and distress. He faced God's wrath and anger on a dark world as he died in our place. At the cross, Jesus faced the darkness and he defeated it. And in rising to life, he won. He ascended and established his eternal kingdom. He has proven his power over the darkness. He has proven his power to bring security and joy and life in the face of all that the darkness can do. Jesus has faced it. And Jesus has defeated it. And he offers us this same future. He offers us the same future. Jesus is the long-awaited king who will reign for eternity with justice and peace. He's the light of the world, bringing security and joy and life. And it was true back then and it's true today. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this if this is true? Well, if Jesus is the light of the world, it means Jesus is the light of your world. If we're not a follower of Jesus, we clearly have a choice to make because Jesus is putting a serious warning and an incredible offer before you. See verse 24? Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. That's a stark warning, isn't it? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Gentle Jesus, the light of the world. If you do not believe, you will die in your sins. If you reject the light of the world, you remain dead in your sins. You remain in darkness. You will remain captive to fear, distress and death. But in verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the invitation is that we can have security and joy and life. They are on offer, such is God's love, if we believe and follow Jesus. And so the invitation is really plain. Choose light. Don't choose the darkness. Choose the light. Follow Jesus and have security and joy in life with him. And if that's new information to you this morning, then please come and talk to myself or Daniel after the service. We'd love nothing better than to talk with people about their eternal future in Jesus Christ. But what about those who are already followers of Jesus? Well, 1 John 1 verse 5, we heard. This is a message we've heard from him. And we announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So here, here comes the rubber hitting the road. So if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, well, we lie and we do not practice the truth. You see? To choose the light. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Later on in 1 John, he'll say, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Invitation, don't walk in the darkness, walk in the light. See the difference the gospel makes in our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. Our relationships are not to be characterised, shaped by hatred, darkness and blindness. That's not how we're to get on. That's false. We're supposed to be shaped by the gospel. And so we walk in the light. I also hope you've been reminded and encouraged that Jesus is the light of the world. We live in a rich, affluent, safe part of this world. And yet darkness is still part of our lives. All of us know fear and distress and death. All of us know that. Sickness, grief and pain are shadows we live with. But in all of those times, we can look to Jesus. In all of those times, we can look to Jesus. Even in the midst of all that darkness can throw up. Jesus is constant. Jesus is present. And our future with him is unshaken because he's the king. Because the light has dawned. And he's the king we all need. And so by looking to Jesus in the scriptures and by turning to him in prayer, we can actually experience and taste David's words. My God is my light and my salvation. Jesus is our refuge, our comfort, our support, our strength in times of trouble. It's not always the first thing we feel like doing. But we can know for certain that when we turn to Jesus, 
And when we follow him in the midst of darkness, he is our light and he will not let us down. Jesus is what this dark world needs. People try and medicate their lives in so many different ways. People try and inoculate our lives from fear and distress and death. But we know the answer is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And so let's trust him and let's follow him and let's share him as people who walk in the light. Amen.